Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. Until last time, we talked about the Battle of Lutare and Mansfield Lush campaign, where he unfortunately died of either health issues or in battle. At the end, I mentioned there was a attempt at a peace with the German princes, but that failed when Frederick's stubbornness got in the way, so yeah, that fell apart. With the failure of that peace, Christian was forced to continue to fight. He received reinforcements from the Dutch and British of around 5,000 who were posted on the Lower Wessel near Nienburg and Wolfenbüttel. The main army, numbering 15,000, were positioned on the Lower Elbe at Lauenburg, and the remaining 10,000 troops were commanded by George Friedrich at Havelberg. This defensive network was secured by Gluckstadt, Kremp, and Pinnell guarding Holstein, and Rendenburg kept the entrance to the Jutland Peninsula secure. The only real weak spot in this network was the southeast, only being guarded by Trittau Castle and Holstein Militia. So Christian, despite his previous losses, was in a solid defensive position, and it's easier to defend the two attacks, so theoretically he could haul out against Wallenstein and Tilly. Tilly, taking into account all this, didn't begin offensive operations until July 15th, 1627, ordering Pappenheim to besiege Wolfenbüttel and another subordinate subordinate to take Nienburg, and lastly, another one was ordered to attack Havelberg. George Friedrich at Havelberg retreated once he heard Wallenstein beat Mitzlaff, who was the guy who took over after Mansfield died. He fell back to Pole Island through Mecklenburg, waiting for transport for a month to retreat to Holstein. Wallenstein arrived to reinforce Tilly, chasing George as the eastern flank of the Protestants fell apart. Tilly himself managed to outmaneuver Christian, fainting his troops towards Lauenburg, but crossing the Elbe upstream at Bleckedge, and the Danish fell back demoralized, showing little resistance in the face of Tilly's advance. Christian made the same mistake that he made at Luther when he went to organize reinforcements further north and left behind Count Thurn from the Bohemian Revolt to be in charge, and Count Thurn pulled the troops back, which meant that the Danish forces pulled back to Gluckstadt, leaving just free territory for the Imperials to advance on, not even scorchers or anything, just advancing with no resistance. In the face of this, the Danish sent out orders to the British, that, who were in Wesser, to retreat so they wouldn't get cut off and surrounded. The British, however, ignored those orders and retreated to state instead of where they were ordered to so they could be evacuated if, if, if worse came to worse. So, overall, the Danish were effectively more or less in a rapid tactical retreat. It was clear that the heart of the Danish wasn't there, and Christian wasn't confident in his ability to fight back against the Imperials, seeing as he would have quickly fall back, although some of it wasn't its subordinates, which I could see being an issue. Tilly then met up with Wallenstein by September 15th, as he had effectively taken control of the eastern flank, and the two of them pushed into Holstein, overrunning it within two weeks. Thorne and the 8,000 men who survived fled north, leaving the remaining garrisons behind to survive on their own, which were picked off one by one. Pineberg fell by September 28th, but Nineberg and Wolfenbüttel lasted until December, and the British that stayed lasted until May 5th, 1628, when the British were finally evacuated. Gluckstadt actually held out since the Danes could resupply it to the sea, and in November 1628, the Elbe flooded, destroying the siege works of the Imperials. Tilly was actually wounded in this campaign, and he let Wallenstein take overall command, not getting involved since he was wounded. The sources that I read, and I do believe to a certain extent, is Wallenstein to overall effect did have overall militia command, so Tilly didn't want to have to play second fiddle to Wallenstein, who was a rising star in the Catholic world. The two were butting heads, which I can understand completely. And on top of the fact that the Protestants were retreating constantly, it wasn't done well. It was mismanaged and rushed. George Friedrich did not have enough transports, so he was forced to leave behind 2,000 men at Pole Island, and the rest of his 6,000 men landed at 
Hillingen-Hafen, trying to join Thurn, but Thurn's retreat further north meant that Friedrich was trapped and at the mercy of the Imperials. Only about 1,000 men escaped the camp after the Imperials bombarded said camp on September 26, 1627, with the rest surrendering and joining the Imperials like many troops did throughout the war. It was a common practice for surrounded troops, especially mercenaries, to immediately join up with the army that captured them. Those men escaped on boats and made their way back to Danish territory, so some men got out, but not most of them. Renberg then fell, which opened up the Danish peninsula for invasion. The local nobles in the peninsula did not either respond to Christian or were fleeing with the advance of the Imperials. Even some of the militia opposed the Danish as they retreated, seeing as he wasn't exactly in the best standing at this point. The Danish retreat was effectively a nightmare for Christian. The Danes, who had been a military power in Europe up to before they joined the war, had spent a lot of their money on this war, had taken a lot of time to gather an alliance, and it had all fallen apart. His defenses in his own territory fell with very little distance besides garrisons that held out and the Protestant morale collapsed, which created a cascading failure. All in all, this was the end of the Danish part of the war in any practical manner. Even a powerful military, or supposedly powerful military, couldn't stand up to the Catholics and Imperials at this point. And the fact is, the Imperials had Wallenstein and Tilly, who were both great commanders, and the Protestants really didn't have a match for them, at least at this point. My gut and my readings suggest that Christian wanted a separate peace, or at least wanted a peace, on better terms when he still had an army intact and had some bargaining tools in order to preserve his territory, maybe keep some of the things that he got, that sort of thing. But that didn't happen. And the Imperial prestige was boosted even further, although there was a rising conflict between Tilly and Wallenstein, which I kind of compared to Montgomery and Patton if there wasn't a regulating factor that those two had, which will come up as I will cover in the next period between the Swedish involvement and the end of this war. With the retreat into Denmark, Lower Saxony then became the mercy of the Imperials, as Lower Saxony was the primary target and goal of the Danish. Frederick Ulrich, who effectively abandoned Christian at Luther, was fined 400,000 talers, as his not showing up at the battle was seen as opportunistic and not genuine by Ferdinand, which I, I'm guessing is probably accurate. The garrison was placed there to make sure that payments would be made, there meaning Wolfenbuttel, for anyone who doesn't know what he owned. Parts of Magdeburg and Halderstadt were given to Imperial commanders, which ended Christian's dream of those places being used as places for his son to, sons to inherit. Wallenstein had already been given the Duchy of Sagan in Silesia by May 1627 in place of 150,000 dollars that Ferdinand owed him. Mecklenburg was also overrun by September as it refused to submit to imperial demands after the city had supplied Christian's troops. And rumors began to grow starting in late 1627 that the city had already been given to Wallenstein, and those were confirmed in February 1628 when he went to court and Ferdinand officially gave him the city and the duchy as well as the Bishopric of Schwerin. This move effectively allowed the Habsburgs to write off 5 million florins owed to Wallenstein, similar to what happened with Palatine and Lusatia, which would be a common thing of, again, land for debt. This move, which made Wallenstein a prince, was immediately controversial. Many other ruling families in the history saw the rapid rise of a new noble, especially one that was supplanting older dynasties like Frederick, as a potential threat to their land and wealth. Wallenstein troops were also all over the areas that were being fought over when he fought the Danish, which added to that worry. Other princes were also being humiliated publicly and politically as new blood rose in power influence, which anyone who knows old blood in especially European contexts tend to not do well with that, at least at first. The funny thing is Wallenstein 
actually played along with these fears, partially to deflect the criticism of him at court. As people talked, about, talked a lot about him and, you know, what he did for the Habsburgs and, you know, what he did to get all this stuff, he encouraged rumors that Tilly could become the Duke of Kallenberg and Pappenheim would be given Wolfenbuttel just to keep the court on edge. There was also a rising fear among Protestants and especially Lutherans that the Empire would begin restoring Catholic lands back to the Church, especially because the Church and religious orders began to publicly clamor for them back, which theoretically I can see. It's just, again, the religious conflict is not going away, even if I will debate that it is not necessarily the primary motive on these wars, at least growing now. So Wallenstein's rise was rapid, like I said before, but that came with a special controversy and he probably was not surprised by that. Again, once again, old blood does intend like new blood and this new blood was a great military leader who was supplanting old families, even if, even if those families did fight against the empire and were traitors. Wallenstein was also an ambitious man, which didn't help, which meant that when he got controversy, he wasn't necessarily fighting against it. He played along with it if it helped his reputation, especially because the only reputation that he had to maintain at this point was Ferdinand, or at least the most important one he had to maintain, as this was where the, his political backing and loyalty came from, which was becoming a more common thing among the Habsburgs as I mentioned in the Army's video, if I remember correctly. But I would say he earned his titles, even if they were controversial, as he was the key to being the Protestants, and he had proved to be an equal to Tilly in politics and in military skill and tactical skill. One of the main issues I think the Protestants have is they had no one to match Tilly and Wallenstein as primary commanders. Christian probably was not a bad commander. He was just facing someone better than him. There will be a commander rising up soon. Well, let's say rising up, coming up soon. But for now, the war was over and the Imperials had won again. But remember, we still have 20 years to go. There's more to this war than just another country getting beaten. I want to thank you for listening in and hope you're enjoying it. Next week, you cover the, the end diplomacy of the war and the peace of Lubeck as this season of the podcast comes to a close in the next episode or two. Once again, after that, I'll take a little more time for reading and plotting out. And again, once again, there'll be setup episodes such as setting up Sweden, a special military episode that I'm excited to write about, especially in relation to Sweden. Social media links will be in the description or on the links themselves, depending on where you go. Reminder that I have a Patreon, and please review and rate and spread the word. And I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>